Welcome to the ESG Matters Podcast. I am your host, Amat Gomis. And if you like this content, please like, share, and subscribe to the ESG Matters Podcast on all podcast services. Thank you so much for your time, and let's get on with the show. Welcome back to ESG Matters Podcast. My name is Amat Gomis. Today, our guest is Janice Lau. Janice has nearly 20 years experience in the sustainability field, seven years as a chief sustainability officer. She has been awarded internationally for her work in sustainability, including being named in Forbes magazine as one of the world's most influential sustainability leaders, as well as being named in Green Biz as one of the top 25 most influential women on climate change. At 30, she co-developed the international mathematical and economic modeling that was the basis for the international aviation's carbon neutral growth strategy. Since then, she originated and led some of the first in the industry sustainable financial deals, such as the acquisition of biofuels company Argent Energy. If that's not enough, she has also co-wrote a children's book on climate change, Sparky and Benny's Big Home Mystery with her daughter, that won a 2021 Excellence in Literature Award. Janice, thank you so much for joining the ESG Matters podcast. Thanks for having me, Amath. I appreciate it. Well, I think when I think about your background and all the success that you've had, one of the main drivers of your success, I think, has been your ability to make the case to parties that are either disinterested in sustainability or ESG or folks who are almost so overwhelmed with a path forward that you have to create that path for people in a way that resonates with them. So Janice, I didn't know if you could talk a little bit about what has been the process for your success when convincing people to do these type of activities. Yeah, I like that you put it in, you know, you talk about it being success. And sometimes I feel like I don't really have a choice. It has to be successful. And I'll just start by saying I'm an introvert. I don't know if people believe that. My friends don't. (laughs) (laughs) And because I'm an introvert, I like to observe people. And that's why I became a scientist. (laughs) But I didn't realize that a lot of the things I have to do in order to be successful in my job is to engage with people, which if you told that to an introvert, they would just run away in fear. (laughs) Oh, I'm an INTJ on the Myers-Briggs scale. So I am too. (laughs) I 100% get it. It is oftentimes you're stepping outside of yourself and you're like, if you people only knew how much I just want to just give me a good book and a quiet room and I'm great. Exactly. (laughs) And I am also very INTJ. That is my, you know, that's my personality. The first time I I started working on sustainability, I really struggled because I thought I had to perform. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, here's Janice and she has to perform and just exhausted me. And I think I just scared people as well. Because I was so eager beaver about, oh my God, can we do this? And I noticed that people were like, oh my God, stay away from me. It's almost like when you go out on a date and you just say, I love you so much, please marry me. You don't say that on the first date. Typically not. Not, Yeah. And then I kind of took a step back and it was my husband who's also introvert. And he was just like, he just said to me, you know, the typical be yourself, you know, and you're like, whatever. And I just said, okay, maybe I'll just try that. (laughs) 
And I just sat there in meetings and I would just listen to people talk or I would um, go to a lunch with a friend. This was obviously before the pandemic. (laughs) I would go out and lunch or have coffee or just hang out with them. And I noticed that I really love observing people. I love um, as an introvert, I love finding out how people tick and I love to find out what motivates them. And that has really been the key, really, to unlock that winning hearts piece. And I'm, I, I don't want to, I don't want you to think that it's like this magic thing, right? Like it takes time for people to open up to you, for people to see that you're really interested in who they are and not what they are. And because of, that's really, I would say, the foundation of how I do it. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of listening. I love to actively listen. (laughs) I know it's really odd because we're in the world today where people don't like to listen to each other. And even people with different political views, people with different views, I just sit there and I am just curious why they think that way. Like, you know, I try, I really, really try to come into a conversation without any judgment. I always assume that this person wants to do the right thing. There is no five-year-old out there who says, one day I am going to build my evil empire. Nobody says that at five. So I know that that's, that's really not where people are coming from. And people are hunger to live life and to have a career with purpose. Sometimes there are things that don't allow them to do that. So that's what I'm really interested. I really listen. What's interesting about that, I think you dropped some really interesting tidbits there. I think people can really understand and unpack one being that you have to be authentic and bring yourself authentically into the space that you're in. And that's where you can sort of serve your best purpose by making sure that if you are an introvert, look into ways in which you can utilize that and leverage that those skill sets that you may innately have to understand your surroundings and communicate with people in a way that oftentimes, to your point, a lot of people love to hear themselves speak and they're not necessarily being heard because everyone's trying to get a word in edgewise. And then once you have that, once you're able to understand that that's a skill set that you have, come into conversations with people who, regardless of where they sit politically or socially, understand that there's some basic relatedness that we all share, that one, we really all want to have purpose in this life. We all want to make, to do better. We want to do the right thing generally. And tapping into what are both the hindrances in doing so, and then also how can you help them leverage the strengths to get to that point, I think are some of the great sort of things that you can do. And I think what I've noticed about the field in sustainability has been, depending on where you sit, oftentimes you really don't have a major incentive or disincentive to push people to do something that you really want them to do. But it is that consensus building. It is that relationship building that makes a difference. So thank you for, for providing that insight. That was really helpful. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think people can see through you. And that's why when I told you earlier, the earlier part of my career, I was this eager beaver hype girl. That's really not me. And I think people could see that I struggled. <laughs> and they were just like, oh my God, let's stay away from this woman. <laughs> and people can sense that energy. 
And also, you know, you want to conserve your energy as well. If you're yourself, then you're not really swimming against the tide, right? So that's why it's really important to be authentic, not just obviously because it's typical to say be authentic, be authentic, but because, I mean, really for your own sanity and energy preservation, you should just be yourself. So once you've gotten to the point in your career where you've brought your full self, your authentic self into the space, you're actively listening. When you're talking with executives, have you seen any sort of patterns of learned behavior that you can see to say, oh, this is a hindrance to their acceptance or their understanding of ESG in order to create a better business? Have you seen any sort of those commonalities? A lot of times we look, when we look at senior leadership or even executives, we think that they're not people. (laughs) And I really try to relate as much as possible to them. They have a very tough job because they're trying to balance hundreds of different considerations, right? And sometimes the error margin is so narrow um, and they're being measured based on not making mistakes, which is really, quite honestly, very unfair. (laughs) And this goes back to me being this empathetic. I, I really try to put myself in their shoes and I'm trying to understand where they're coming from. When I talk about where they're coming from, I really like to know who they are as people. So I ask them, you know, what did you do over the weekend? Or what was the thing that, you know, I even ask them, what gets you excited about talking about ESG? And sometimes they're going to be honest. They're going to tell me, you know what, I'm not really that excited. Or, you know, I've been asked by someone, some shareholder or some who, whichever stakeholder to do this. And that's fine. I don't judge it as, oh, that's bad. Oh, you don't understand. I think, okay, that's a way in you. Every time people give me information, it's like a map into their mind because there's no there's no sense in me trying to ask them to reach out to me. I have to reach out to where they are. And so I notice with a lot of these senior executives, it's just that nearly impossible task of trying to balance so many different stakeholders expectations. And then if they can't do that, they're not going to have to prioritize, right? What is the most important consideration. And that's always a tricky one because that can change season by season or what's the hot topic for today. But I just want to say as well, contrary to a lot of people think, because these people are people, (laughs) they really want to do the right thing. It's as you said earlier, either they're overwhelmed, they don't know what to do because as I said, there's like thousands of other things they have to think about. And those other thousand things, in fact, the top 10 things that they have to think about, that's what they're being measured against. They're being measured on share price or they're being measured on other KPIs that don't always directly link to ESG. It's almost like, how do I help them not be overwhelmed? At the same time, a lot of the people I work with in my career always feel that they're not doing enough. Does that not sound familiar to us? Yes. (laughs) Right? Like, I always come from a place of what have you done already that's great, that's amazing on ESG. And then I kind of walk backwards and say, well, how did you guys do this? Because I want to show them that even before you guys had hired me, you were already making the right choices. So how do we scale this? Right? Like, how do we make this the norm? And that's so critical. Professionally, I've seen the same thing, right? You have to reach people where they are. And you also have to show them that this behemoth of a monster called sustainability, that there aren't any real regulations around. There's a lot of 
opportunities for vagueness and opaqueness in a place where oftentimes you need to be very clear. It's hard, right? It's such it's yeah. such a different way than I think so many people in graduate schools, in college or university have been acculturated. So I think it's probably more like the real world where things are messy. But to your point, when you're talking to executives that have to deal with mess all the time, the more yeah. you can keep it simple, the more you can say, before you understood the taxonomy of this, you were doing this. And yeah. how did you get this done? And I think that gives people at that level comfort knowing that they are innately trying to do the best they can. And what you're there to do is really as a ESG professional is to make sure that you handle the taxonomy, you handle the communication, yeah. but you make sure that they have the right information to make the best decision possible. And then one thing I've noticed too, at the executive level, there's such an interest in sustainability from the board, from shareholders, from activists, investors, and then from the lower tier entry level, one or two levels above that in the organization, they have a great passion for this as well. But sometimes within that middle management level, they, things get lost. Have you noticed that too? Yeah. Somebody jokingly said it's called the marzipan layer. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. And when you've had to manage that, how have you done that? Because, you know, I know for me and I know for other people, oftentimes that's the hardest part. And it's not because people are, are bad people. It's just there's so much stuff you have to get through in order to get them to be part of this journey. Yeah. As I said, that's actually the most difficult part. People think it's the executives, which is the most difficult stakeholder to deal with in the business, right? But in reality, it's not just big by numbers, right? How many executives do you have, really? You just need to convince a couple and you'll get you'll get most people on board. But with that middle management, there's a lot of them. It's a tough one for me. It's a challenge, definitely. And I don't want to simplify it, but I just do the same thing with the executives, but in a larger scale. So I really, again, prior to the pandemic, I would literally go out for coffee for them for 15, 30 minutes. This is why I have to exercise every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, there are no shortcuts. I wish there was an easy way to do it. I wish, you know, when people say, oh, all you have to do is tell the CEO and the CEO approves and everybody's going to follow. Mm, that's never been my experience ever. Like, I don't know who came up with that, but from my scientific point of view, statistically, that's just never happened. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it makes it easier because at least I can use that as an additional lever, right? When things are really like when I really have to force people to do something, I can just say CEO is saying this, right? But I really don't want to do that because... That's not sustainable, honestly. Yeah. It's like when your mom says, well, why do I have to do this? And then your mom, you know, I remember my mom saying, because I told you yes. so. And you're like, okay. <laughs> as soon as we're in college, you're like, whatever. Exactly. <laughs> my mom's exactly. not looking. Yeah. So <laughs> so it's not sustaining. And, and I'm all about growing roots because... I really can't do sustainability on my own. And like, I keep telling people, I may be the head of sustainability, but I am not the one who's only going to do sustainability. All of us have to do it. So with that level of management, as I said, again, it's really personal. Um, and, and one way to scale it, because obviously you can't meet, if you have like 2000 middle management, it's just not possible. You don't have enough days to do it. 
So either I try to sit in a lot of working groups, I try to get myself invited <laughs> into like, who can I go into this design meeting? Oh, can I do this? Or if there's a Christmas committee, I want to be part of that. And it's really because I want people to see me as a person as well. I don't want them to see me as the sustainability police. I want them to see like, oh, Janice is into this. Oh, Janice is a person. Oh, I can actually go and speak to her if I have issues. And the thing earlier, I forgot, I was going to say this, but I forgot to say this, both for senior management and for middle management, I want to be their safe person, almost like I want to create a safe space so that whatever they say, even if it's absolutely nuts, <laughs> I'm not going to judge them. I want them to just say to me what they think. And I'm just managing myself and saying, look, because I'm providing them that psychological safe space. I'm going to see that whatever comes out of them is coming from a place of goodness. Yeah. And that's so critical because so much of what we do is trying to create a path through a rainforest. And you need those people, you need the tools to be part of that journey. Making sure that people feel intellectually safe with you so that you know that, one, you see them as a person, as you've mentioned before, but also that you know, at their core, they are trying to do better. They're trying to do good and yeah. make sure that you can say, I understand. I agree with you. I would love to be able to take all our trash and put it on Jupiter. But but what we're saying there is that we may want to look at opportunities for a change in how we create as much trash. So we won't have to do something that drastic, right? So like, well, one of the things you keep mentioning, and I think that people really need to understand is that you keep talking about relatedness making sure that people see you as not just your position and what you're advocating for, but as a whole person and that you understand what drives them outside of their own specific job. So that way you can say, I get it. I understand why you care about what you care about, why you may be hesitant about this. And let's work through that as a team, because we all want this thing to work. And you're right. Like I remember when I was working at a company that shall rename Nameless, there was just this huge like middle management level. And one of the things I noticed was that there were these chiefs of staff who were the folks who were the most interested in upper advancement. And they were the ones who I could call and talk to. And amazingly, they were the ones who could really move things because they had the ear of their of their boss who then had the ability to push things through if, if there were some hindrances there. So it is really interesting. And I think for people in this field and probably other fields, to be to be honest with you, to really understand that you cannot do this alone. You need advocates, you need sponsors, and more importantly, you need people to not be detractors. And the more you can move people to the point where they may not be a staunch advocate, but they're not a detractor. They're not a barrier builder. I think that's so important. One of the things I think is so important also is just that we don't have a lot of formal ESG education. A lot of that is starting to come out right. slowly but surely from the universities and colleges. But do you think that the professionals who are sort of entering sustainability now are prepared to enter and to do the type of work that you're doing what would be some of the things that you think that they should, the hard and or soft skills that they should learn in order to really be successful? I think obviously there's more education now than there was before. For a lot of us, we really had to learn on the job. 
or take home a lot of readings and just do it after work um, or we read over the weekend. I think the people who are, in, who are trying to get into this field now are luckier in that sense that they have a bit more resources information, right? My concern is that I still feel like those who want to get into sustainability or ESG are, are thinking that this is something that they can just, you know, they can just go and wing it. No, it, because if you're just going to wing it, you know, a lot of the choices we have to make involve technical understanding. So, for example, if we're talking about a chemical like, you know, lead and, com- and then you want to use another chemical, that's a level of detail that you you need technical expertise for that. <laughs> you can't just like go and wing it and read a, a report. You can't do that. And my what I've suggested a lot of people want to get into this field is like any field you're interested in. And a lot of people also complain to me and say, oh, I don't have time to do that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. If you want to do this well, because not doing this well means you're detracting us away from doing this correctly. It's almost like you're adding more time for us to correct you. We don't have that time, right? We don't have that time. So we please, you know, it's like, let's use the military. They don't send soldiers out without training them, right? Like I'm just hearing, you know, stories from my friends. Like it's not like when they go off with them on a mission, they huddle, they, they say, what's the game plan, right? What's the language you're going to use? And that's what I mean by getting that level of education because you have to learn the language that ESG professionals are speaking because we've all agreed, well, informally, that we're going to head this direction, right? We're going to be climate neutral, all of these these terms. You ne- we need you to understand that. At the same time, it is a profession. Like People shouldn't think that all I have to do is read a book and suddenly I can call myself an ESG expert, which, by the way, is one of my pet peeves <laughs> because there's like an ESG expert yes. every day. <laughs> And it's like the blind leading the blind. You can't do that. I agree with you 100%, Janice. And I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to start this because to your point, I saw a lot of folks who enter this field in various industries with a great vocabulary, right? But when you say, okay, well, what type of, what is your thing that you're really interested in and that you can provide the most value with? A lot of people don't have that. It's easier to get your foot in the door once you have some type of training, education, experience that is technical in some level. Maybe you're probably, you're not where you start off today is not where you're going to end up 20, 30 years from now, of course, but you got to get your foot in the door in a way that makes sense. And I think that goes back to education and how we educate the youth who are coming into this field who are really interested in that. And pivoting off of that, I'm really interested and curious about the book that you wrote with your daughter, Sparky and Benny's Big Home Mystery. So can you talk about what drove you to write this and what you want kids to get out of it when they read it and how can people find it? I mean, the secret is not so secret anymore. Obviously, I also wrote it for the parents. (laughs) A lot of parents have asked me, how do I explain this? And I'm guessing we're in the same generation and our parents probably wanted to protect us from an inconvenient truth. And I'm not talking about climate change, like just any truth, whether it was diversity issues, I'm a person of color, you know, what you have to deal with as a, you know, it wasn't like they sat me down and gave me a lecture about that, right? It was like, just put your head down and just do the work and hopefully nobody criticizes you or discriminates on you. But that's, that was not my experience. (laughs) And I then found now that I now have children, I realized that I was doing the same thing with my kids, but on climate change, I was protecting them from it. I didn't want them to know about it. 
because I just did not want them to be anxious about that future. And and also, frankly, I didn't want to get questioned by them. Almost like, what did you do, mommy, about my future? And they did ask me. And that's what led to the book because my daughter was like, hey, I found out this about this thing called climate change. And one of my favorite animals is going to lose their home. And that's why it's called Big Home Mystery. Yeah. And she said it like this. She's like, I'm annoyed that my favorite animal, which was at that time a narwhal. Remember that time there was, it was so trendy. Like she was into yes. it. <laughs> um, yeah. And she was like, narwhals are going to lose their homes. She said it like this. And then I thought, remember I said earlier, like, I want to relate to people. I'm, I was really struggling with how to explain climate change to people. And my nine-year-old, my then nine-year-old just gave me the winning marketing statement, which was, it is our home. Isn't, isn't this what it's all about? Like, <laughs> and that's when I realized, oh, and then she started asking me questions. One of her questions was, you're an environmental scientist. What are you doing about this? That really, oh my God, that was... Kids have a way of, of bringing it home to you and hitting you right in the gut, don't they? <sighs> yeah, I was like, oh, God. Anyway, so, um, so the book is really just an ant. Like I'm trying to show my kids I'm doing everything I can. But also, I decided to document how I engage with people in the book. And, and Esther, who helped me write the book, gave me a lot of, you know, she's like, I don't think this is what we should write about. We should really say it like this. And she was really my, she kept me real and honest. Let's put it that way. Because there were so many times I really wanted to sugarcoat the problem. And I really didn't realize I had that in me. <laughs> and then she really kept me honest. She was like, I don't think we should say it this way. I think we should say it this way. And all the questions that the narwhal kids and the whale kids are asking their parents are the questions that my kids ask me. Things like, if scientists say that this is happening, well, why do a lot of people think it's not real? <laughs> or should we just cancel them? You know, those questions. Or should we still talk, keep talking to these people? Like, oh, the, oh my God. Like, seriously, my kids asked me the, mo the hardest questions. And I wanted the book to be about empathy. I wanted it to be like, again, the things I just said earlier, right? So it's literally me documenting how do you engage people who may have different views from you and how do you come from a place of commonality? And that's sort of what the book is about. There's a lot of science in it, but a lot of it is that soft side, right? Like the connection, the relations. For the book, what is the target age range? The book was written for the age range of a 6 to 12. And I didn't want to scare children off. I wanted to give them information, but also give context to that information. And I did not want them to feel like, oh my God, there's nothing I can do about this. I wanted them to feel like there is. This is why there was no ending to the story. It's being written as we speak. Exactly. And that's how we said it. We we're like, it is up to you. You get to write the ending. And that's such a powerful thing. I think oftentimes young kids, especially at that age, just kind of see stuff and they feel that they're victims of, of actions. Yes, correct. And this gives them the opportunity to say, yes, this is, there's a lot of things happening, but you ultimately still have a place to play here. You have a role to play. And I think that's such an important thing, both for the youth, but also to your point that the parents need to read this too, because, you know, when you're looking at your kid, you have to like be honest. You have to be honest because right. that's your legacy in the world that you're leaving behind and the world that they inherit. Where can people find the book if they want to purchase it, Janice? 
Right. Yeah. So it's available on Amazon and both as a Kindle and a paperback. And all the proceeds go to a charity called Science Delivered, which provides science kits to low-income districts in the U.S. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Janice, thank you so much for such an informative and powerful conversation about being a change agent and sustainability and the skills that you use to really create change. And can't wait. I'm actually going to buy the book. So thank you so much for joining this podcast. And I will talk to you all later. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the ESG Matters podcast. I am your host, Amat Gumis, signing off. If you liked what you heard, please like, share, and subscribe to ESG Matters podcast across all podcast providers. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, feel free to reach out to me at Amat Gumis on LinkedIn. And I look forward to hearing back from you. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Mm-hmm.